You're listening to The Peak Podcast with me, Christina Roman. We're having real, intimate conversations about the interconnectedness of life. Join us as we discuss big topics like intuition, personal mastery, and emotional wellness and why they matter for you. Quick trigger warning, we talk about parental death, cancer, suicide, and grief within this podcast episode. I've been wanting to talk about death and dying on the podcast since the very beginning, so I was thrilled when Danielle Strauss, who's a licensed existential therapist, reached out to me to offer herself up as a guest. It took a lot of courage for her to do so, which you'll hear about in the episode, so it was a total honor to talk to her. We cover a lot of really heavy topics in this episode, but there's also a lot of light, too. We talk about Danielle's integrative counseling work with her clients, including existential therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy. We talk about the benefit of facing your mortality and your finiteness head on. The ways in which we avoid the reality of death by over drinking, using drugs and overworking. How Danielle's personal experience with grief has influenced her work as an existential therapist. How to work with, not against, our death anxiety by asking, what scares me about death? how Danielle has made unconventional life choices driven by her awareness of her finiteness, why it's so important as practitioners for us to face our own darkness, and there's also a beautiful story about rippling, which is the fact that each of us creates, often without our conscious intent or knowledge, concentric circles of influence that may affect others for years, even for generations. I was so struck by Danielle's vulnerability and her immersive storytelling in this episode, and I know you will be too. Thank you for listening, and I hope you get as much from this episode as I did. Danielle Strauss, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. We got our tech issues solved, and now we're going to talk about death. Yes, we already faced a lot of (laughs) adversity, and now let's talk about a really happy subject of death. Let's go right in there. So uh, I want to paint a little bit of a background about how this conversation actually ended up taking place. So I had Mm -hmm. posted on Facebook that I was looking for somebody to come on the podcast to talk about death and dying. And this is such a fascinating topic to me. I've had it on my list of topics I wanted to discuss for so long. And you very bravely sent me a message. So tell me (laughs) about that experience of sending me that message. Um, well, so I saw your post and, and I thought, well, there's definitely some topics here that, that really resonate with me, especially death and dying. Mm -hmm. And I thought, Nah, you shouldn't say anything. You shouldn't say anything. What do you have to offer? So, so that idea of imposter syndrome kind of started to creep in. Yeah. You know, what what a value do I have actually have to share? Um, and I just decided, you know what, Danielle, take your take your ego out of it and and just send the message and see what happens. And so I, I decided to push myself to take a little leap there, and I sent you a message and let you know that this was a topic that I was really interested in. Um, being a therapist and being a human being, um, <laughs> yep. this is something that resonates with me. Uh, so yeah, I sent you that message and with a little bit of honesty at the end, letting you know that my imposter syndrome was was creeping on in. I loved it so much. So just to to quote you, you said at the end, if you ever want someone to come on the podcast to talk about imposter syndrome, I'm also your girl for that. <laughs> um, and so we're not actually here to talk about imposter syndrome, although I think that it's a really interesting topic. And I just want to say that to offer my perspective on your message, 
and I've told you this before, obviously, but I got that message and I was like, yes, somebody wants to talk about the exact topic that I want to talk about. And it's someone that I, that I've met before. Um, we met in Guatemala, which is also a topic Mm -hmm. for another day. And Mm -hmm. to me, I felt like I was winning the lottery. I got this awesome podcast guest. And meanwhile, you're there feeling nervous about it. So I, I love to offer that up just as an example of you took a risk and it benefited us both. Absolutely. I think it really points to like vulnerability (laughs) is an important thing to connect with and it's hard to do sometimes. And, you know, I encourage my clients to do it and sometimes I need to push myself to do it too. Mm -hmm. Be vulnerable. Yeah. So really good segue into the type of therapy that you do. Um, Mm -hmm. Vulnerability I know has a lot to do with it, but tell us about the type of therapy you do and why. Mm -hmm. So I would consider myself, um, well, first of all, I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor. So I have my master's in in clinical psychology. um, And I currently work with with clients exclusively online um, through video sessions and and messaging. And I I take, I would call an integrative approach to to counseling. So I incorporate in different different perspectives, different theories. Um, and one of the theories, one of the main theories that I'd say my work is like based in is existential therapy. Mm-hmm. Now I also pull in ACT therapy, which I know that you've talked about on here as well. Yeah. Um, and I also like to talk about, you know, psychodynamics, our, our history, what, what how our past influences where we are today. But existential therapy has always been such an interest to me. I mean, in grad school, it was kind of the material that I gravitated towards where you pick up a book and you can't put it down. Um, so I don't know if you want me to now go into a little bit about what that is, existential therapy. Yes. I think it's such a fascinating term, such a fascinating body of work. And so, yeah, absolutely. If you could define that for us, that would be a really helpful start. Yeah. And, and just to start out, I, I want to acknowledge that um, there are different types of existential therapy. Um, and the theory that really resonates with me comes from a, a psychotherapist named Irvin Yalom. And so a lot of what I'll be saying here today will be kind of based off of his work. Um, so with existential therapy, really the underlying idea here is that the root of our anxiety as human beings can can be kind of connected back to uh, the fact that we're aware of the reality of our existence. Mm-hmm. We're aware that we're finite beings, that there is a beginning and an end to our life here on earth. Um, and Yalom talks about this idea of there are these givens of existence, kind of what he also calls our ultimate concerns, these these truths that, that can't really be denied. One of the one of them being death, you know, the main core one being death, but he also also incorporates in isolation, meaninglessness, and freedom. Mm. And so our anxiety often ties back to those things, um, but we're not always aware of it. You know, most of us are not consciously aware in our day-to-day life of our of our death concerns, but they pop up. They pop up in other ways. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's such an interesting approach to stop avoiding it and to actually face it head on. Mm-hmm. What is the benefit of doing that for somebody? 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, when we're sitting here talking about death and the fact that our lives are finite, it can sound like kind of a, a morbid thing, but really it's it's meant to be kind of an optimistic, motivating way to look at life. Mm-hmm. Because when we are in touch with the fact that our lives are finite, that we get to create our own meaning, um, we, we are able to start to be motivated to cultivate a life full of authenticity, mm-hmm. a life full of connection, right? I know that I have a limited amount of years on this earth. So what am I going to do with that? Mm-hmm. That is really meaningful. Um, and by getting in touch with that, we also start to become aware of the things that we're doing that are that have been an, an, a way to defend ourselves or avoid this reality. Mm. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's drinking a lot. Maybe it's doing drugs. Maybe it's being a workaholic. Maybe it's having a ton of kids. Now that, that example, I want you all to, to keep creating human beings, <laughs> but always checking in with our motivation for things mm-hmm. is my motivation to have a bunch of kids because I want to continue on my legacy. And how does that impact how I treat my children? Mm. Right. Versus I want to have children because I want to create more love in this world. Mm-hmm. I want to create more connection. Hmm. So being in touch with the finiteness of our life it helps us to to amplify that vitality to 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 really connect with what's most important to us i joked with you when we did our prep call that you've already hit on one of the biggest things it's one of our buzzwords here on the peak podcast and that's values and mm-hmm. so i i would love for you to touch briefly on values and then i actually do want to talk about that advanced medical care piece and how how you've mm-hmm. seen people deal with that in the, the last years of their lives. Yeah, absolutely. So values are a very important piece to this. It's an important piece of m- most therapy. We're going to tie that in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially existential therapy and, and, and ACT therapy. Um, so this idea of, of facing our death, you know, we have these what we would call awakening experiences, these big moments in our, in our, in our lives that, that put us in contact with the the reality that we have a limited time and that we have to create meaning. And so when we have those awakening experiences, whether it's grieving, losing our career, um, some sort of trauma, it gives us the opportunity to take a step back and, and connect with how am I living my life now and what changes do I need to make so I live a, a life that has less regrets, mm-hmm. right? If I were to look back on my my life a year from now, what would I want to have seen changed? Mm-hmm. So connecting with with our values. And when I say values, the way that I'm seeing it as, how do I want to behave as a human being? Mm-hmm. How do I want to be in the world? So that might be, I want to be curious. I want to be a giver. I want to present love. I want to be open. But connecting back with that is really, really important for all of us. And and I think existential therapy, that's kind of a, a core tenant of it. Let's connect back to what's most important to us mm-hmm. and live each day in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. I, 
think it's interesting. I guess here's a question for you in your life, but also mm-hmm. with your clients is how often do you think it's a good <laughs> – I put quotes around good – good idea to think about death? Like do you do this on a daily basis or is this something that maybe comes up once a week or once a month? So that's an interesting question. I don't know if I would I don't know if I would put a number on it. Yeah. I would more think about the impact that it's having on you. Mm-hmm. Right? So death anxiety, death concerns, a totally normal human experience. We don't want to be living in terror though. Right. right. Because then that takes away our vitality. It it takes away our ability to to live with meaning. Um and so if I'm walking through life afraid to leave the house, disconnecting from other people, afraid to take risks because I'm afraid of death, because I'm afraid of what's going to happen next, or I'm afraid that the peop- I'm going to lose the people around me. Mm-hmm. Um, that really kind of limits our existence. And I know I've definitely experienced that. You know, I've had my own, what I would call encounters with death, where, where my perception was that I had gotten close to to things ending for me. And I, I lived on guard for a period of time after that. And I think to a certain extent, to a certain extent, it was kind of the natural process of grieving and and going through the motions. Um, But at a certain point I had to make a choice, right? Am I going to, am I going to allow this to drag me down and isolate myself, or am I going to open myself up and use this as a, a springboard, a motivator? Yeah, yeah. That's it's such an interesting question. I actually have this place where my brain just went, which is I have an episode about when I was sexually assaulted. And mm-hmm. I think that I grappled with that same question is, am I going to let, I mean, that exactly what you just said, am I going to let this bring mm-hmm. me down or am I going to use this to show up even better in the world? And I think I'm always very careful to say it in a certain way because I don't want mm-hmm. there to be any judgment of somebody who's still very much in a grieving process. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a very individual experience, but mm-hmm. I think for whatever reason, I'm actually not even sure for whatever reason I was able to be like, yeah, this is, I want to see, I want to see this as a meaningful experience. And I don't say a positive experience, but a meaningful experience. So. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And we have to allow ourselves that time to grieve. We we don't want to, we don't want to pressure anyone to rush that process because Mm -hmm. we don't know what somebody else's process is. And then, and you know, for me in therapy, working with clients, like such an important piece of it is I need to meet you where you're at. Yeah. You know, I can't, I can't just tell you to be somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so I I think that's really, that's, that's an important thing to, to take note of. Mm -hmm. Well, I know we're very early on in the podcast, but I would love to have you actually talk about your personal grief because I know that that Mm. you've mentioned that that has, I would imagine, tell me if these words are right, influenced your story, not necessarily created your interest in existential therapy, but contributed to it. Does that feel accurate? Yeah, absolutely. I I think, you know, the own loss that I've experienced in my life definitely made me more maybe in, um, yeah, more inclined to, to have an interest in, in this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I lost my dad when I was young. I was, I was 11 years old. I lost him to, to suicide. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, at 
at 11, I mean, that's, that's a pretty earth shattering experience. Um, but what I noticed for myself is it's grief didn't just happen in that moment. Right. Mm -hmm. A lot of my really heavy grief happened years later when Mm -hmm. I was old enough to kind of understand and, and process what had happened and, you know, the loss that had occurred. And, but when I think back at being 11, you know, I, I think back to, to the, to the funeral, I think back to the wake, I think back to being a little girl sitting at his casket, like a proud daughter as people came up and said, you know, said their, their goodbyes to him. And, and I didn't know to be afraid, mm-hmm. right? Then I also have this memory of, of at his funeral, um, there's this moment where the casket is open and everybody is walking past it to go outside before they close the casket to bring it out um, for burial. And I do remember having this moment of, of stopping before I walked out. And I remember staring at his hands um, because his face looked like him, but not quite like him, right? Mm-hmm. And so I remember staring at his hands and I do remember having this thought of, this is the last time I'm going to see these hands. Mm. And that was um, like kind of a, a reality check for me. Right. It was a jolt. Like this is, this is my father and, and this casket is going to close and I'm not going to see these hands again. Mm. And I still have that very clear image. Um, Mm. But like I said, in, in those following years, I, I wasn't, as in touch with the grief and as an adult, it hit me. There were, there was certain triggers in it and it hit me. I, uh, so much to process here. So I just first want to say thank you so much for sharing so openly. I think that, Mm -hmm. I think you and I would probably both agree that being able, able to have open conversations about death is one of the first steps in getting more comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess I just want to take a second to say to anyone who's listening who is feeling, I don't know, uncomfortable or uneasy or scared or anything like that, that I think those are very normal reactions. And just to kind Mm -hmm. of sit in it and sit with us as we keep processing this. So do you have anything else to add to anyone else who's listening? Yeah, I I would say – Press pause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say press pause. No, not stop it. Don't don't turn off the phone. I would say press pause and take some deep breaths and yeah. and connect with what it is that's bringing up emotions for you. Mm-hmm. And this is this is this actually points to a bigger thing in terms of how we how can we deal with our our death anxiety. One of the first steps is is asking what specifically about death frightens me. Mm-hmm. What is it that that scares me? I know it seems like an obvious, like a question with an obvious answer, but it is different for each of us. And so if you're feeling overwhelmed, you can take the opportunity to stop and check in with yourself. Yeah. Visit that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um I'll just, we can pause and then <laughs> when everyone's mm-hmm. back joining us, I also just want to add in that. I think it's a it's a really, really strong visual about your dad's hands. Um, so my dad died a few years ago, as you know, and um, I have this visual that I think will be with me the rest of my life. It's um, this dinner plate. So I was one of the first people to go into his house 
after he died. And there was this plate that still had a bit of food on it, and it was by the sink. And I just, Mm. I mean, I can visualize that plate so perfectly. And what I always think about that is this person made dinner. This person put a plate next to the sink. And you know that he thought, I'll get to that in the morning. Yeah. And he didn't. And Mm -hmm. that is just, I don't know why that sticks with me so, so strongly. Yeah. It's heavy. heavy. I mean, Mm -hmm. it is. I, I, I can think of, it's so funny because I'm, I'm so in touch with, with my own death anxiety, maybe sometimes to, to, to a great, too great of an extent, Mm -hmm. but I will think about that sort of thing when I do something, Mm. you know, if I'm about to do something that makes me a little bit afraid and I like the example that you gave, if I put down a plate or hang up my clothes, I'll, I'll have that thought sometimes of, well, is, is that the last thing, right? Will I come back to this shirt that I just hung up on, on the hanger, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I'll have those moments where, where I realize that every, any act that we do, any moment in our, in our lives could be our last moment. Mm-hmm. Is that helpful for you to think that way? Not always. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm being very honest, honest. No, no. no, good. No, We're here always. for the honesty. <laughs> um, no, no, definitely not always. Um, I think that it can be. It depends on what I do with the thought. Mm-hmm. So if I take that thought and I sit in it, right, and I stew in it, and I imagine 10 different scenarios of something dangerous that can happen when I walk out of the door, um, no, then it then it doesn't help me. If If that pops up in my head and I notice it, acknowledge it, and kind of let it float on by mm-hmm. and then say, you know what? It may be true that maybe I don't pick up that shirt from from that hanger ever again. You know, it's a silly example, um, but I I have this moment right here. I am still here. Mm-hmm. This is this is all that I have the here and now. So what do I want to do with it? Mm-hmm. And I do try and live my life off of that. I do try and make decisions that are authentic to me. And, you know, I've, I've made some unconventional <laughs> decisions in my life in terms of my lifestyle. <laughs> and so um, I think that is driven by the fact that I, I want my time here to matter. And I know that time can end whenever. Mm-hmm. And so I got to make it count right now. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting direction to go in because I was actually, I was just on with a client this morning and we were talking about the term YOLO. So if you Mm -hmm. don't know the term YOLO, you only live (laughs) once. (laughs) Very popular (laughs) rap music. Um, But I think it's very interesting because I think that some people have the reaction of life is short. You only live once. um, Death is just around the corner, maybe. Um, Mm -hmm. And they take that and they do what one might say is self-destructive behavior. You already Mm -hmm. mentioned that over drinking and drugs. And Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting. So I guess my question for you is how do you balance that knowledge that life is finite and not use that to send you into a place where you're like, fuck it all. Let me just go drink. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we have the explicit label, Danielle. (laughs) 
fuck it all. I'm going to drink my life away. Well, I, you know, I, I think one of the the ideas here is uh, this may be a theme that comes up a lot when we're talking about these sort of like therapeutic topics is the idea of balance, right? <laughs> so, so finding balance, we can't all be in contact with the reality of our existence all of the time. Mm-hmm. And so we're naturally going to do things as humans to have some fun, to find some relief, um, you know, to kick back and mm-hmm. that's okay. But if, if it starts to tip over to the point where your life is about avoidance, mm-hmm then then obviously we can see that it's unhealthy. And so I think going back to the idea of values, mm-hmm. if we can get really clear on what our values are and how we want to live as a human being, with every choice that we make, we can we can stop and say, is this moving me towards or away from my values? And that's mm-hmm. that's an ACT therapy concept, uh, accept, acceptance and commitment therapy. Is this moving me towards or away? Mm-hmm. And we have the freedom to make that choice, yeah. which I will say is one of the other existential, one of the other fountains of existential anxiety, the fact that we have all that freedom. <laughs> mm. It can be scary, the fact that, that we choose, because every time we say yes to something, we say no to something else. Hmm. That's interesting. How do you see that playing out in your life? Oh, man, <laughs> it can be pretty indecisive. <laughs> the, are you talking about the freedom of the freedom of choice? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I can definitely see that playing out in my life. I, I can see that there are times where I want to refer to somebody else to, to make a decision. You know, mm-hmm. whether it's about where are we going to go on vacation or go out to eat or should we do this or do that? Like, I can see myself trying to refer to somebody else because, well, I don't want to be the responsible one, mm-hmm. right? I don't want to be the one that if it all gets screwed up, that that the burden's on me. Um, but we can't live that way, right? Mm-hmm. Because if, if we if we live in a way where we're always trying to avoid making choices, well, then we're probably not going to cultivate a life that's super authentic to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there's all of these these little risks that we, we have to challenge ourselves to take. I also think it's really interesting in terms of decision making, because I always say this to clients. I'm like, you not making a decision is making a decision. You've mm-hmm. decided that you're going to just put it aside. Mm-hmm. I actually have this analogy that I've been working on. I haven't said this one out loud, so we'll see if it lands. But <laughs> <laughs> I was like, have you ever had, you have food in the fridge that you don't want to eat. So you like open the fridge, you look at the food and you're like, I'm going to put this back and not eat it now. And I'm probably not going to eat it later, but I'm not going to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And so you just are like, I'm going to leave it there until it's such a problem that I can't ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> and I always think about life like this in decision making where I'm like, Take the food out and eat it or throw it away, but don't just leave it to rot in the fridge because Absolutely. that you see that as indecision, but that's really a decision to let it rot. And I always think about mm-hmm. that in terms of opportunities. I'm like, if you let your opportunities rot, that's still a decision. I love that. I think that that is a great, <laughs> I think that's a great analogy. And I mean, it just points to the fact like we can't, we can't live in avoidance. Mm-hmm. We can, we can have some avoidance again, the balance, that balance uh, mm-hmm. aspect of things. But if we live in avoidance, it catches up to us, mm-hmm. you know, we'll feel it eventually. I mean, it's, it's like with this idea of death anxiety, we can avoid, 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 but eventually something is going to happen in our lives. that's going to awaken us to it yeah. where it's, it's going to be in our faces. 
And those are the moments where, again, we allow ourselves to grieve. But after time, we start to make decisions on what do I do with this? Mm -hmm. I'm going to put you right on the spot. I want to ask you, Mm. what what have you most tried to avoid and how what happened that made you unable to avoid it? What have I most tried to avoid? Um, I find myself, especially in the context of what we're talking about here, I often find myself trying to avoid thoughts of losing family members. Mm. Um, specifically my grandparents. Um, I still have two, two living grandparents. They're my, my, uh, father's parents. Um, and I will do things like going to bed, being on my phone to fall asleep or reading to fall asleep instead of just naturally falling to sleep. Cause I'll notice that that's, that's where my thoughts will go worrying about them. And I can even, I can think back when I was in high school, my mom, um, had breast cancer. Uh, and I was so not present for it. I was just so not there. Hmm. Um, I even remember her at my graduation asking, it was a really hot day and, and she didn't want to wear, she didn't want to wear her wig. She was bald from the chemotherapy. And I remember her asking if she, if she could, take her wig off because it was hot outside. And, you know, mm-hmm. she wasn't, a, she wasn't ashamed. She wasn't afraid to, to, to talk about it and face it, but I hadn't told anybody. Mm. And I told her, no, I said, I, I need you to wear the wig. I was, I was just so avoidant. And I think this idea of I had already lost one parent. And so, um, I didn't, conceptualize it like this at the time, but Mm -hmm. the idea of losing another parent, I think was way too much. Mm -hmm. And my grandparents are, are definitely parental figures to me. They've been around every step of the way. Um, and so the idea of losing them is something that I, I really try and, I try and put off in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a piece tied in there of when we, when we lose our caregivers, when we lose the generations above us, then we're really faced with our finiteness. Yeah. We're really faced with, oh, I'm the last frontier here, right? Mm. In my life, <laughs> not, mm-hmm. not in the world. But right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think I, I, I do a lot of avoidance when it comes to, to that. So, whew. You're sharing so much amazing stuff. So I, again, thank you so much. And mm-hmm. I I want to ask you this because I we talked about this super briefly when we first connected. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I asked you was how do you deal with your own death anxiety and your mm-hmm. own fears at the same time that you're helping people with their death anxiety? And this comes up for me as a life coach as well is mm-hmm. I'm wading through my own bullshit and my opinion is me dealing with my own issues actually in many ways helps my coaching, but in other ways, it doesn't impede my coaching, right? I I can help people see things in themselves that I am still working through on my own. Yeah. I would imagine that it's similar in your therapy, but I would love to hear from you about how do you balance, how do you balance that? 
It's absolutely similar for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I agree with everything you just said. I I think so in therapy, it's really important for a therapist to be willing to to step into their own darkness. Mm-hmm to face, you know, to face all this murky shit that we don't want to look at and shine Mm -hmm. some light on it. And so the fact that, that I am in touch with all of this stuff, I I do think is actually beneficial in my work, my work with clients. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, therapists are humans and we avoid death like crazy as well, even in therapy. Mm -hmm. And so my, um, I wouldn't say comfort, but my, I guess, willingness to talk about this stuff because I think about it <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, face, I faced it myself, I think is beneficial to clients because that door is not always opened. And we need to connect with each other on this. We need mm-hmm. to know that other people are dealing with similar fears or underlying anxieties or concerns, whatever way, word we want to use for it. We need, we need to be able to, to connect with people on that mm-hmm. because that's what we have, right? Like that's, that's so much, at least for me. And I think for all of us, that's what life is about, that interconnectedness. Yeah. And I would say that we're probably in the midst of one of the biggest uprisings and Mm -hmm. groundswells of vulnerability and death and Mm -hmm. all the fun stuff. Um, But I mean, Brene Brown comes up on the podcast all the time. But I also know of different movements like there's one called Death Over Dinner where people literally go to a dinner to talk about death. Have you ever been to any? What? No. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I can't believe it. That is so cool. Yeah, I've never been to one, but I would love to. Um, I'm going to write that down. Yeah, I would put it in the show notes as well. But what would you want to ask people? Like if you are at a dinner like that, what would you ask people about death and what they think? Yeah, so I think one of one of my biggest questions is something I referenced earlier. Is like, what what are you afraid of, right? Like for you, what is the thing that you worry about? Is it that my name won't live on? Is it that people are going to forget me? Is it that I'm going to miss out? Is it that I'm? it's going to be painful that I don't know if there's an afterlife or what happens next? I'm really curious about what, um, what worries people. And I'm also curious, like, oh, how are you managing it? <laughs> you know, like asking people, how are you navigating this? Because we're all just along on the same journey, right? How are you getting by? How are you using it and and maybe lifting yourself up as a result versus spiraling downward? Yeah, those are, it's so interesting. My mind goes to answer that first question of like, what are you really afraid of? And I, I feel like I have some answers, but it's interesting because I guess I, I can't fully right now tap into mm-hmm. what am I really afraid of? Mm-hmm. I know you didn't. I know it's rhetorical, but now I'm like, what is my answer? <laughs> yeah. And I think it's a tough question because, I mean, people that are listening might be saying like, I'm not afraid of death or this mm-hmm. isn't something I think about or, you know, something along those lines. So if that's if if that's the mindset that some people have, which I think a lot of us do, then you haven't considered this question, right? I don't mean you. I mean, general you. Then you, you may not have even considered this question. Um, for me, when I ask myself the question, 
a big piece of it is is missing out. Um, you know, I I I I feel like a lot of times when my anxiety pops up around my own death, I will think about my partner. I will think about what life is going to look like for him if I'm no longer here. What am I going to miss out on in that relationship and all these things that we share together? I think about my family and how they're going to feel. So those are a couple of the things that really scare me. One other thing, sorry, uh, I just tapped into this. So I think one of the the fountains where where this anxiety comes from for a lot of people, and, and especially for me too, is this idea that we are we have each created our own unique world internally and externally, but especially thinking about internally, you have your own set of memories, your own set of hopes, a certain way that your mind works, stories that you tell yourself, books that you've read, you know, all these images that you can conjure up from your life. And for me, you know, my eyes fill up with tears as I say it, (laughs) the idea that when I die, that that and this is a secular viewpoint, um, so there are there's room for for other viewpoints on this, mm-hmm. but from a secular viewpoint, when I when I die, that whole world, that rich world that we each create inside of ourselves, it's it's not there anymore. Damn, I've never thought about that before. What a bummer. <laughs> oh, I'm just sitting here. I'm like, oh, shit. One more thing to worry about. Thanks, Danielle. <laughs> so, no, no, that's, yeah, that's such a fascinating. I honestly, I feel like I do a lot of thinking and I've never gone down that, that path. That's such an interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. What do you do with that? So one of the things that I, I think is really important. So this is a concept that is actually somewhat new to me and I really like it and it's been helping me a lot. Um, It's this idea of rippling. Mm. So like a ripple in a pond. Um, And this comes from Irvin Yalom. I highly suggest people read the book, Staring at the Sun. Um, But it's, it's this idea that each of us drop these little pebbles in the water without even realizing it. Sometimes intentionally we do, we try and have an impact, but a lot of times unintentionally, we're dropping these little pebbles in the water and creating these circles of influence. Mm. And so we are a part of the world and impacting everyone that we touch without even always being in contact with that. And so if I can connect with the fact that I may not, I may not live on me and my memories. I'm that those are not going to live on again in a secular viewpoint. Mm -hmm. But if I can tap into the fact that I will still live on in a way as, as a, a part of my influence that I've had on other people, any goodness that I've brought into the world any characteristic or trait or virtue or whatever it might be that I bring to the table has inevitably caused a ripple. 
And, and so it's, it's a little bit of kind of taking the ego out of it. Like, mm-hmm. this is not about my legacy. This is not about my name living on. Because that's almost kind of a lie that we tell ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, that our legacy, our names are that, that, that has happened to some people in history. But, <laughs> but, but for most of us, I, I, th- I think it's really important to try and take our ego out of it. Mm-hmm. And to just look at how am I rippling into the world? And that image is really helpful for me. I love the ripple. I love, isn't it so great? Oh, it's so good. It's, I'm such a visual person. So if you give me like a visual yeah. before I'm, I'm in. <laughs> that has been like really sitting with me, that idea of rippling. And now I'm just kind of, I, I anytime I start to get a little bit of that anxiety, I connect back to that idea of rippling. And it's been so helpful. And I had this experience um this past weekend, I, I was with friends and we had an Airbnb. It was a tiny house on a, on a vineyard. And the Airbnb host, she was this lovely um, uh, middle-aged Japanese woman with her black lab and her beautiful cat. And she led us into the, the tasting room, which was just like a, a room in the house. And we're sitting there with her. And throughout the course of the conversation, I'm realizing that she's talking about her husband and her husband is not there. Mm-hmm. Um and so at some point I asked, you, you know, where's your husband? Is, is he hiding in the back or something? And she informed us that he had died in June. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, her husband of, I think, 18 years had died of some sort of cancer pretty suddenly in, mm-hmm. in June. Not suddenly, but it happened. It happened fairly quickly. Um, and she was telling us, you know, how she's, how she's so grateful for everything that she has. And, um, you know, she lives a good life with, with her dog and and her cat. And she told us, she told us that when she makes our, when she made our beds for the Airbnb, that she would make the bed and stop with her hands on it and say, I hope that they have a really good sleep. And I don't know why I'm like crying thinking about I'm it. Crying. <laughs> um, oh it my was gosh! So intentional and warm, and you know, this woman has been through this tragedy in her life, but she's still connecting, right? Even before she met us, like she was connecting with the fact that we are all human beings, and she wanted us to feel her goodness, and you know, the home was so warm and you could feel in there that she was so intentional with everything she did. And my, me and my, my two girlfriends are all, we're looking at each other with tears in our eyes, like, (sighs) and it it just, I'm like, that's, that's rippling. Mm. And she didn't do it. It wasn't ego driven, right? It Mm. wasn't, I need to leave my name or I need them to think I'm a good person. You could tell it was just so genuine and pure. I just got I just got full body goosebumps. It was it was just such a warm moment. Mm-hmm. And I, I like she she rippled right on into my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh well, that is a great example for me. Like I want to carry that with me. Mm-hmm. I want I want to to continue to to live that out and give that feeling to other people Mm. and now I'm telling you right Mm -hmm. and that's a ripple 
That's an amazing call to action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's um it's a really beautiful challenge to go out into the world and do things like that and mm-hmm. not have it be ego driven and ego focused. Yeah. So yeah, big big challenge there, but I think yeah, that's absolutely. beautiful. And and I want to really acknowledge that I know everything I'm saying here is so much easier said than done. And I, I hope by me kind of sharing some of my story and being vulnerable, it's obvious that I'm not saying like, just do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Like this, this, we are constantly a work in progress. Oh, there was this quote that I wanted to share with you that reminds me of this. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's when we are tired, we are conquered by ideas of long ago. And why I'm bringing that up, that's a, a, Nietzsche, a Nietzsche quote. Why I'm bringing that up is because we grow, we, we learn how to navigate these underlying anxieties. But when we are tired, when something happens in our lives, it's natural that they'll come back up. Mm-hmm. So not to beat ourselves up and think that we've gone backwards. Mm-hmm. Realizing that we're human. Yeah. And these things will pop up when life throws shit at us, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I hope it's okay to segue into back into your story, but you did Mm -hmm. mention to me that part of when the grief around your dad came back up was, you mentioned years later with specific triggers or specific circumstances that happened. Are you comfortable diving into that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I had noticed throughout different moments in my life that the grief would pop back up, but it it happened um, in a bigger way for me um, a few years back, about four or five years ago. And I honestly feel really silly saying this, but I'm just going to be vulnerable and say it. But my dad always reminded me of Robin Williams or Robin Williams always reminded me of my dad. I should say. And so about five years ago, Robin Williams passed away and Robin Williams died by suicide like my dad did. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, you know, it just, it just hit that nerve. And, you know, I was a therapist at the time I was working in community mental health. So I was carrying, you know, other people's emotions as well and, and helping them through, but I had at least a couple days that I needed to take some distance from work. So that's important as a therapist to know your mm-hmm. limits. Yeah. Um, but it really took me on this journey. I, I started going to therapy and actually committed to it because in the past I had not. I would do a couple sessions and then kind of fall off. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I joined a support group with other people that had had lost family members to suicide. Um, and I, everyone else, it was a, a recent death. And for me, it, it, I was the only person that had lost someone years ago. But for me, I was experiencing it as if it was fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went through that support group and I decided to make some different decisions in my life. I asked myself, am I happy with what I'm doing right now? And when I genuinely asked myself that question, it was like, what would make me feel more fulfilled? Well, living abroad would make me feel more fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Being more um, a part of a community would make me feel more fulfilled. Working on my Spanish and really diving into that is mm-hmm. something that's was important to me, is important to me. And so I 
I changed my whole life. You know, I, I, I decided to, to pick up and move to Guatemala. And I think for me, that's an example of my life in my life of confronting grief, confronting death, mm-hmm. it jolting me a lot. <laughs> it was yeah. a very difficult time. And figuring out what I wanted to do with that. Now, that is not to say everyone has to pick up and move out of the country and make these drastic measures, right? But you can. (laughs) You can. You absolutely can. You absolutely can. Um, But just getting in touch with what's most important to you. What do I need to, what what do I want to make adjustments to? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be, I am such a big proponent of baby steps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, 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 I preach that to my clients all the time. It's okay to take baby steps. You know, they're movements forward. Mm-hmm. If you're able to take the leap, if you feel excited to take a leap, if you're willing to take the risks, absolutely go for it. But it's also okay to take baby steps. Absolutely. I think that's a really good point to make. And I'm a leaper. I'm like a mm-hmm. Lord's leaping. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't do baby steps. And yet I absolutely respect baby steps. I think it's super important for me as a coach to always remember that I don't know what action my client should take. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So um, I just want to do super quick. I don't want to paint too rosy of a picture of what your life looked like after making that decision, but just a little bit of background. Mm-hmm. So you moved to Guatemala. I moved to Guatemala and mm-hmm. we actually met through the partner who you've referenced. Yes. <laughs> so you're now back in the U.S. with that partner mm-hmm. living. Are you in the van technically yet? Not yet. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty funny the way that we <laughs> So are you living in the van yet or? (laughs) Um, Yeah. So we moved back to the States. Originally, we moved to San Diego, did that for a year and a half, did the, you know, normal nine to five thing. And that, that was, that was great. But we both, I I had just talking about my getting in touch with death. I I had an experience where I I, I had a, um, a serious health issue come up Mm. and that was another jolt. And it was another opportunity for me to to kind of reevaluate, okay, is what we're doing here what we want to be doing? You know, we had both already been feeling kind of discontent with the lifestyle. And um, and so we made the decision to, to, to move to Oregon. And um, we are currently converting a van into a camper van so that we can do some traveling around the, the U.S. and be mobile. Um, mm-hmm. We've we've just are, have really gotten in touch with the fact that being able to move around and see new places and new things is is something we want to prioritize in life. And you know, I, I work with clients online, which is flexible and convenient and comfortable for them, and mm-hmm. flexible and convenient and comfortable for me too. And so um, I'm I'm really excited about this, this next piece. Um, as I'm saying this, I also want to say we, I don't want to encourage people only to act when there's just a big jolt in their life. Mm -hmm. Um, because you know, right now these are the notable moments for me. So, so they're easier to, to kind of point out and talk about these, these big flashes that I've had and and have caused me to act, but Mm -hmm. we can start getting in touch with this right now. You know, you can start taking inventory right now of your life, mm-hmm. taking a look at what are the ways that I feel like I'm living in order to 
avoid this existential anxiety that might be underneath the surface? Mm-hmm. What are my bad habits? What are what are my things that I'm lifting up in my life that maybe aren't quite congruent with who I am? Mm-hmm. So I know that was a little bit of a tangent, but it was just on my mind that I realized I'm talking about these big shifts, but we can also do it in in those smaller ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that that's a I think that's a really good reminder to people mm-hmm. for sure. Oh, and I will also just say that like these things that I'm talking about in my life, like these, these, this is what I would categorize as like, these are awakening experiences, you know, that I mentioned earlier, these, these things that happen in our lives that, that give us the opportunity to reevaluate. Yeah. They suck, (laughs) (laughs) but they give us the the opportunity to Mm reevaluate. And I, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm living pretty authentically. I don't think mm-hmm. we all do it 100%, <laughs> but I'm living nope. pretty authentically and I'm, I'm, I'm very happy in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I visualize my life. It's interesting. I feel like I have like a before and after there's like this line and that's when I started traveling. That's my before and after. And then in the after, so about five years, I visualize it as having these climbs and then little plateaus and another climb and a little Mm. base camp. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not just saying that because I really like mountain imagery because of my coaching business is peak coaching. But Mm -hmm. that visual is so helpful to me where I'm like, I do this massive awakening and then I get comfortable and I kind of sink into that and I'm really happy there for a little bit. And then Mm -hmm. I have, I reach another point where I need to do a massive amount of growth. And so it's interesting to look back over the past few years and to see those different, um, those different climbs and base camps. (laughs) Yeah. And I know you love your imagery. So that's, that's a really nice one to connect back to. And I I think in all of that, when you're doing the climb or when you're in the base camp, the I, I think the the essence of it all is like being there right mm-hmm. like wherever you are being there yeah being present being in the here and now which is a hell of a struggle <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's it's a constant uh goal that we we have to work towards right even when we're in pain right even when we're like going through the mud yeah. being being there Mm-hmm. Well, we I've talked about this term that I use growing pains. And I'm like, mm-hmm. when you name something, you can see it with a little bit more perspective. And so I say, hey, you know, this is a period of growing pains. It's super mm-hmm. awkward. It's super uncomfortable. But guess what? On the other side, there's growth or in, in the middle, there's also growth. Yeah. Well, I always tell people if you're if you're trying to make a change in your life, if you're learning a new coping skill, whatever it might be. It's, it's like building a muscle. And when you go work out for the first time, you're tearing that muscle and it sucks and you're sore. And <laughs> it's this mm-hmm. whole thing. It's the same thing when we're, when we're making changes in our, in our lives, when it's, when we're doing all this emotional growth, like it's natural to, to feel those, like you said, growing pains. Mm-hmm. 
I love that. I use that analogy. And then another one that I use, also visual, is I'm like, imagine if you're deep cleaning a room Mm -hmm. or your whole house. I'm like, that house gets nasty and (laughs) so messy before it gets clean. Like, have Mm -hmm. you ever deep cleaned and not gone through a period where you're like, I really wish I had never started this? You you throw everything everywhere. You're like, Mm. why did I ever ever begin this process? Absolutely. I think that's a great visual for it. Yeah. Yeah. It evokes all the same emotions for me. (laughs) Exactly. Um, (laughs) We got some good metaphors going today. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I want to segue back to one of the things that I mentioned earlier, which is your time in advanced care planning. I would love to hear what you got out of that experience and any takeaways that you have for people listening. Yeah. So I worked in advanced care planning, which um, essentially was helping people who are dealing with some sort of advanced chronic illness, um, helping them to to think through their values, what's most important to them as they approach the end of life. Mm-hmm. So giving people the opportunity to, to have that door open to start thinking about how who they are as a person and how they want to live their life, how that might influence their medical decisions. Um, now, another piece of that is helping them to have those conversations with family, with their doctors, mm-hmm. and potentially with filling out a, a living will or an advanced directive, which kind of outlines your preferences in terms of your care. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't even realize before this job how important this job is <laughs> mm-hmm. because because a, a lot of times people don't have that opportunity to think about these things. And so, you know, while, for example, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some numbers here. Mm-hmm. Um, while most people prefer to die at home, there was a study of adults 60 and older that found that about only 27% of them died at home. Hmm. So m- the majority of people will say, I'd, I'd prefer to die at home, but that's not what they get in the end. And there's a lot of factors that go into that, but one of them is having the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I, I talked with people that were at all different ends, all different points of the spectrum in terms of being ready to have that conversation, um, which I, I respect, right? We're not all ready to, to face that. Um, but I found that it was really valuable for the people that were able to go there to be able to take a look at their life and say, well, you know, this is, this is an opportunity for me to talk about not, not necessarily the way I want to die, but the way I want the rest of my life to play out, the way I want to live. Mm-hmm. Because every moment before that last breath, we're still alive. Mm-hmm. So what do I want that to look like? What are my values? Is it really important to me that I'm able to speak? Is it really important for me that I'm mentally there? Is it really important for me that I can walk? Is it important for me that I can cook for myself? What are the trade-offs? What are the things I'm willing to sacrifice? What am I not willing to sacrifice? And giving people the opportunity to think about those things and opening up that door with their family members as well. I mean, I'm sure many of us can think about how our own families deal with death. And a lot of times it's not with very much openness. Yeah. It's something that we, we all tend to avoid. And so then what happens, 
people tend, people, and I won't say tend to die, but a lot of times people pass away in, in, in some sort of isolation. Mm. Whether that's them disconnecting from other people or other people disconnecting from them. Mm. So the ability and openness to be present with someone when they're navigating this area of their, their lives is, is so, so important. And I think that's one of our, our biggest, um, and, you know, we've kind of said it throughout, uh, throughout this podcast, that human connectedness is so, so important. Mm -hmm. We kind of live with this like curtain of silence when people are dying. Mm -hmm. We don't want to touch it. We don't want to talk about it. But working in advanced care planning, it was like, hey, let's shine some light on this. You're not alone. Because in reality, your experience is my experience. I'm a human too. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, to look at you with pity. I'm going to look at, at you as a fellow traveler and be there with you. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to, to say the right things or, you know, do things in a certain way. But, but being there is so important. Mm-hmm. I think that you touched on a theme that's come up on the podcast so many times, which is it's not about saying the perfect thing. Mm-hmm. And there are, there are things that are more helpful than others. But I always come back to say, I don't know. If you don't know and people want your presence there to support them. And it's not about saying exactly the right thing. Absolutely. I mean, imagine how powerful it is just to hold somebody's hand, Mm -hmm. just, just to be there. Mm -hmm. I could talk to you about death for many more hours, (laughs) but (laughs) we're coming to an end here. I would love to, close out the podcast with one of the quotes that you sent my way. I think it's really Mm -hmm. beautiful and a really, really powerful ending note. Would you be willing to read that for everybody? Absolutely. Um, This is a quote by Irvin Yalom, who I've referenced earlier today. Um, And it's honestly probably the quote that has that pulled me in originally. I remember writing this in a notebook in grad school and it's always stuck with me. And the quote is, though the physicality of death destroys us, the idea of death may save us. And I think that idea is, is kind of the underlying concept behind everything we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. That yes, we are, our bodies are finite but if we connect with that, then that may help us to live a life of, of more vitality and meaning and authenticity, motivate us to make more willful decisions, to be more self-aware and have more self-understanding. Well said. Well said. I love that word vitality, and I would love to have that be the closing call to everybody is Mm. um, tapping into this, having these conversations, and definitely feel free to reach out to both of us. I'll put our our information in the show notes, but let's continue this conversation openly about death and dying and see where it leads us. Absolutely. 
Yeah, Danielle, it's been so amazing talking to you. I so appreciate you sharing not over not only your professional experience, but also the personal side of this. So thank you so much for joining on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. This was really great to connect. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Your support helps this podcast grow. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and then head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is so much appreciated, and I will see you on the next episode.